Welcome to the Awakening Church Podcast. We exist to awaken this generation to new life in Christ. Thanks for tuning in. To find out more, go to awakeningchurch.com. Well, good morning, Awakening Church. Great to see you. Happy New Year. Happy New Decade. If you're new, my name's Ryan. We're absolutely thrilled to have you join us Uh, this morning. And I love, I don't know about you, I love the new year. There's something about looking back and taking uh, inventory of the last year, looking forward, dreaming about what could be uh, in the year ahead. And I got to be honest, I'm really especially glad that 2019's over. Anybody else just like, hey, thank God 2019's over. Um, Uh, Yeah, for many of you, you already know, 2019 was one of the hardest years, actually, of my life. There's lots and lots of things that uh, have gone into that, one being I had three concussions in four months. Um, So, whoo. So one of my New Year's resolutions is no concussions for 2020. Um, Whoo. Thank you very much. And so as we kick off this new year, we wanted to do a series called Awakening Vision. Now, this isn't just about the vision at Awakening, which we'll get to next week. It's about God birthing and awakening a vision in you and in me in this new decade ahead. Because you know this. Intrinsically, this is already in you. You you feel this that you were created to make a difference in this world. Like God, God has a plan for your life and longs to use you in significant ways. Now, often, the missing ingredients for us when it comes to living out and that significance and meaning and impact is vision. We often are going about our days and we live absent of vision. We're just going through the motions. And so we want to talk about what does it look like in 2020 for God to birth and awaken a vision inside you, inside me, afresh. Well, let's begin. We got to start with the question, well, what exactly is vision? Um, And the reality is, is most have sight. Most of us, we live with sight, uh, but few have vision. Um, And can we move to a couple next slides? Thank you very much. Uh, And so many of us, there's a massive difference between sight and vision. And vision is the ability to see what could be and should be in light of what presently is. It is this picture of a preferred future. Now, let me give you an example so that you can really uh, maybe wrestle with this. My wife, or understand this, my wife, when it comes to environments and space and design, she has vision. Like, I mean, she can see what could be and should be in light of what currently is. It's amazing to see what happens. In fact, um, a number of years ago, she tells me, hey, I found this couch. I love it. I want to go get it in San Francisco, and it's only $100. I said, fantastic. You had me at $100. (laughs) So she's like, it's actually a big mid-century modern curve sectional 
I'm like, that sounds cool. What is mid-century modern? I don't know. She says, I think it's so big, we're going to need two cars. Okay. So we drive both of our cars up to San Francisco, and in my head, I'm thinking this amazing couch that she's told me about, and we come, and this lady opens to her door to her house, and I see the most hideous, <laughs> ugly, pink and white striped, dirty, nasty, smelly, I did not, not only did I not want to sit on this thing, I didn't want to put it in my car. Like, it's that bad. I looked at this, and I was like, there is no way I'm putting this in my car. I had, a, at the time, a Honda Element. I can hose the thing down, and I still didn't want to put it in my car. It was that bad. She's like, it's going to be great. I'm like, no, no, no. We're paying what for this? They should be paying us to throw it away. Well, we load it up. Drive it back down. See, when I looked at that couch, I had sight. I saw what is. When Jenny looked at that couch, she had vision. She saw what could be and should be. And so she went up to San Francisco again to this garment factory place. And some of you who are in the design world, you know where this is. I don't. Picked out the perfect fabric. She had another friend that's in the design world that you said, hey, I got a person that can reupholster it, and by the way, you're going to need new cushions because that's nasty. I mean, the cushions were like 50 pounds a piece. They were just laden with all sorts of grime and junk and ucky. Ooh, yeah. Today, if you come to our house, you'll see this beautiful, incredible masterpiece of a mid-century modern curved couch that totally pulls the room together. That's vision. See, vision is the ability to see what could be and should be in light of what currently is. And the reality is, is for you this morning and for many of us in this room, we're living our individual lives with sight, but not vision. We're looking at our lives and we see what is. And that's the reason we make so many New Year's resolutions. We're just like, I hope something might change. How do you live with vision? In fact, how do you discover a vision for your life? And better yet, how do you discover God's vision for your life? If you got your Bibles, would you turn with me to 1 Timothy 6, verses 11 and 12. It's the Apostle Paul writing to his protege, Timothy. Now, Timothy's this young pastor in the city of Ephesus. And to set the stage and the context for you, Ephesus is the, perhaps the most important city in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Ephesus is this port city, and it's an incredibly uh, rich and affluent place as it is the center not only of trade when it comes to the sea and the port, but it has uh, the convergence of... Uh, trade roads crossing one another, and so it's a center of commerce and trade and economic wealth. It's also a host, uh, the Temple of Artemis, which is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It's a center of spirituality. This is like the happening influential city, and this is where Timothy is pastoring. And isn't it Interesting. 
And isn't it true that it's easy to lose yourself in a big city? It's easy to just, you know, try to keep up with the Joneses, to, you know, hear the sirens calling of success and power and prestige and pleasure. Like like the mass of humanity that is moving around you that's all trying to get ahead. And so we find ourselves so often, isn't it true, busy and yet not actually living out our purpose, just caught up into the rhythm of the city. This is where Timothy is, and isn't it true? This is where you and I find ourselves in Silicon Valley. And the Apostle Paul writes to his young protege how you discover and live with vision in the city of Ephesus, and how do we discover and live with God's vision in the Silicon Valley? Listen to what Paul says. He writes this, but you, man of God, I love that line, by the way, we're going to get back to that in a second. Then he says, flee from all of this. Now, now what is all of this? And one would think that Paul's writing and saying, flee from like sexual immorality. And he says that to the Corinthians at one point, flee from pride and anger. And those are all good things to run from. Absolutely. But you know what he says, flee from? He says, flee from the world's vision of success. Flee from the world's version of success. In fact, a little bit earlier, he says this right beforehand. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Now listen to this. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Now here's what he's saying to flee from. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Sounds like Silicon Valley, doesn't it? For the love of money is a root, not the root, a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And, the, and Paul's saying to Timothy, flee and run from the vision of success that your city defines. Run from a version of success that actually will not fulfill Flee from it. Run from it. Then what do we do? He says, flee from all this and pursue righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness at its core is justice. Being just. It means uh, to be in right relationship with others. At at its core, righteousness is to live justly and to be in right relationship with God and with others. Then he says, pursue righteousness, pursue godliness. Godliness is this reverence, awe, respect for God. As a result, there produces this moral excellence because you live in this awe and this wonder of who God is. You're like, oh my God, you are God. And I'm living in awe and reverence of who you are. He says, pursue faith. Faith is the confidence that God is who he said he is, that he'll do what he said he will do. Then he goes on and says, in love. Now, love isn't our wishy-washy form of love. This is agape. Today, love is I love you based on the way I want to love you. It's it's me-centered love. It's feeling-centered love. This is a love that is gritty. This is a love that is fierce. 
See, love is giving the other person what they need the most when they deserve it the least at great personal cost. He says, pursue that. And then he says this, pursue endurance, this steadfastness, this perseverance, this grittiness. In fact, it's a compound word, hupomeno in the Greek, hupo to be under, meno to remain, to remain under. It's the, it's the picture of, uh, of an athlete or someone working out, and as they're remaining under the weight and the pressure uh, of the weights, that they are actually developing and growing and building and, being, and growing stronger. This is that word, endurance. Pursue that. And then he says gentleness. Another translation you might see is meekness, where Jesus would say, blessed are the meek, same word here. See, meekness is not weakness, and we would go, I don't want to pursue that in 2020. Meekness is the picture of strength under control. The literal picture is the bit in a horse's mouth that controls this powerful animal in whatever way it goes. He says, but you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Then I love this next line, fight the good fight of the faith. In fact, the title of this sermon is just simply a good fight. Because for some, what we're about to talk about is a good fight, a good fight for vision. And did you know there's bad fights? Christians are notorious for bad fights. Christians are notorious for publicly going into bad fights. And he says, fight the good fight of the faith. Well, what is the good fight? What did I just read? Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Then he goes on, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So how, how do you discover God's vision for your life? Uh, In this text, we see three things that the Apostle Paul wants to highlight to us in 2020 and how we're going to live with God's vision for our life. And the first thing he says is to live with God's vision for your life, you have to reclaim your identity in Christ. You have to reclaim your identity in Christ. I I skipped it, and the reason I skipped it is because when we read this, it's so easy to pass on uh, and not let this sink in. We miss this all the time. The Apostle Paul starts this way. But you, what? It's in your notes. You can read it. Help me out again. Man of God. Some of you are like, why didn't he say women of God? He was talking to a man. That's why. He's talking to Timothy, but it applies across the board. He says, but you, Timothy... He didn't say pastor. He didn't say this is what you do and this is who you, how you define yourself. He didn't say one day you'll be a man of God. He said, but you, Timothy, man of God, that's your identity. Who are you? Man of God. See, in our culture today, we define ourselves by what we do, do don't we? Who are you? I'm an engineer. Who am I? I'm a student. I'm a teacher. I'm an artist, an entrepreneur. God says, no, no, no. Who are you? You're a woman of God. You're a man of God. But you, man of God. See, we first 
to live God's vision for our life, we have to reclaim, reclaim your identity in Christ. See, for most of us in this room, you do not need a resolution this New Year's. You need to reclaim what's already true of you. Your identity is not found in what you do. It's found in whose you are. See, I don't know what you see when you see, when you look at you. Think about that for a second. Like, like when you look at you, what do you see? It's interesting, we think about ourselves a lot at this time of year. Maybe you don't, I do. And I'd argue, for many in this room, when you look at you, what, who do you see? I'd argue this two, these two words are the words that come to mind. Not for all, but for most. When you look at you, who do you see? Not enough. Isn't it true? You just feel like you're not enough? In fact, Terry Wardle said this, that our world tells us this, as you are, you are not enough. But if you will achieve and if you will perform, then and only then will you have your deepest longings met. And this is what gets us caught up in living out a version of success that will never fulfill, and a vision for our lives that will leave us empty and hollow. It says, if you perform and if you achieve, then finally and only then you'll be accepted. Then finally and only then you'll be loved. Then finally and only then you will be long. But have you ever thought about this? When God looks at you, do you know what he sees? Like when he looks at you. He sees a man of God. He sees a woman of God. He doesn't see someone one day hoping to be a man of God. And if you do better, then he'll finally call you that. No, no, no. He says your identity is a man of God. Your identity is a woman of God. Why? Because you are in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. He sees a daughter and a son of the King Most High. He sees one beloved, one accepted, one forgiven, and one cherished. See, how do you discover God's vision for your life? First, we have to reclaim our identity in Christ. See, it's reminding yourself of what's already true. See, it's not just enough for many in this room being a child of God. See, it's being aware that you are a child of God. When you are aware that you are a child of God, it gives you tremendous courage and confidence. Well, how do I reclaim my identity? Let me just give you two thoughts. One, first, pay attention to your self-talk. Pay attention to the words that you're telling yourself about who you are over and over. And for some, they're words other people said to you. For some, they're words that you've adopted yourself. For some, it's just uh, the, the pool that you've been swimming in for so long, you can't even see it. I have a buddy who says this. If someone else talked to you the way you talk to you, 
you'd file a restraining order against them. (laughs) Pay attention. Pay attention to your self-talk. And then start telling yourself the truth. How do I tell myself the truth? You get into God's word and you begin to read it and speak it and preach it back to yourself over and over and over again until it begins to be embedded in your heart and soul and you begin to believe that it's actually true. How I do this, very simply, I have a three-by-five card in my, in my journals that I pull out and I review them every morning. Why? Because the self-talk doesn't stop. I have to bring God's word into it, God's truth to remind me of what's actually true of me. How do you discover God's vision for your life? First, reclaim your identity in Christ. And it's out of your identity that then we ask these two questions. And I want to make that clear. Because if you try to reverse the order, you're going to get into a religion and an ought and all these sort of things. What you need to understand is you operate from and not for in the Christian walk. You operate from belovedness, from acceptance, from approval, not for acceptance, not for approval, not for love. You already are these things. You already are a man of God. And so we're going to ask these two questions to live out who we already are, not the other way around. We must get the order right in 2020. So let's ask these two questions. Paul gives it in uh, here. What do you need to run from in 2020? You see that? But you, man of God, flee from all these. What do you need to run from? Is anything tripping you up? Any habits of the heart that don't align with your true identity of who God says you are? Hebrews 12, 1 says this, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run the race God's marked out for us. Is there anything tripping you up? Is there any sin entangling you? What do you need to run from? Is there a besetting sin? Is there an addiction or a habit in your life? Is there a toxic relationship? In fact, you know, like, man, I need to break up with this guy. I need to break up with this girl. I'm in a toxic relationship. I'm, I'm hanging out. I'm married, and I'm hanging out at work with this person, and I know that it's leading down a path, and I'm allowing my heart to go down a path. What do you need to run from? You know, the Bible uses this word flee a few different times. Paul would use it in 1 Corinthians 6, flee from sexual immorality. He says this, flee from the the pursuit of worldly wealth and worldly success. We run from things, here's the reason why, we run from things because when we get caught by the things we run from, they'll overcome us. What in your life, if you get caught by it, will overcome you? What do you need to run from this year? What's fascinating, though, the Bible does not tell us to run from the devil. Stand our ground. You don't need to be flee from him. You need to stand your ground and tell him, get the hell out of here. I was going to say it, and then I didn't say it, and then I did say it. <laughs> what do you need to run from this year? Second question. What do you need to fight for? These are great clarifying questions you need to ask and wrestle with. 
What do you need to run from? What do you need to fight for? We often fight for the wrong things, don't we? We run after the wrong things and we fight for the wrong things. See, a lot of us fight in our marriages. Few of us fight for our marriage. What do you need to fight for this year? Is it your integrity? Is it your relationship with Jesus? Is it your identity? Is it reclaiming your identity? You're like, I'm going to fight for it. And here's why I love that the Apostle Paul uses the word fight. Because it's going to take effort. It's going to be a struggle. It's going to be hard. Like, put your chin strap on, get your gloves up, and let's go. Stop complaining and whining. Like, it's hard. Yeah, welcome to life. Life's hard, but God's good. Get your arms up and say, I'm going to fight for this this new year. What are you going to fight for? I'll tell you one thing I'm going to fight for. Uh, In that list, this is embarrassing. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance. The word God has for me this year is gentleness. What makes me an effective communicator up front makes me pretty miserable one-on-one. It really does. I'm intense. You know that. You already know that. You heard it already. You're like, you had a week off, Ingram, and you're going. All right. I'm not very gentle. Well, my language, my tone with my wife and with my kids. Like, that's what I want to fight for. That's what I'm going to fight for this year. It's what I need to in the relationships that matter most to me to bring life. How about you? What are you going to run from? What do you need to fight for? How do you discover God's vision for your life, reclaim your identity in Christ. You need to ask these two clarifying questions after that. From, not for. And so we're living out who we truly are. And then finally, surround yourself with godly community. Did you notice that? Notice that at the end? He says, take hold, which is an action, by the way of the eternal life to which you're called. Like you can take hold of the eternal kind of life right now. Many of us are just waiting for the eternal life later. And he says, no, take hold of it now. Like experience it now. To which you're called when you made your good confession in the presence of how many witnesses? Many witnesses. Surround yourself with godly community. Our culture of rugged individualism has done us a great disservice. And in your walk and in my walk, the temptation of the soul and what will shipwreck you is trying to go it alone and do it on your own. And that's where you've been. That's why your New Year's resolutions last year, in many parts, failed. Would you surround yourself with godly community? Let me ask you this. Do you have a spiritual coach or a father in your life? Timothy had the Apostle Paul. You're like, I don't have an Apostle Paul. Find someone five, ten years around him. Don't say, would you be my spiritual father? Just say, can I hang out with you? 
Can I learn from you? Hey, I've been struggling with this. Have you ever struggled with this? I'm really needing some wisdom in this area. Do you have a spiritual coach or spiritual father in your life? Let me ask you this. Do you have a few deep friendships that spur you towards Jesus? Two, three. The rise of social media and our constant connection has left us deeply disconnected from one another. And we live in this pseudo form of connection that we kind of see other people and so we think we know them, but we don't really know them. And if you look at all the studies, we are more isolated and alone as a people than ever before. And so you have to intentionally surround yourself with godly people. Why? Because they'll be strong when you're weak. They'll bring clarity when you're confused. They'll bring hope when you're discouraged. We need a group of people that are sharpening and refining and growing our heart and passion for Jesus. And for some, the application is to wrestle with this message in group, to go to startup, to go, I'm choosing in 2020 to not go it alone. How do you discover God's vision for your life? It's not rocket science. It's not a mystery. In fact, it's written plainly. Reclaim your identity in Christ, who you are. And out of that, then begin to go, okay, God, if that's really who I am, then I want to live out of who you've made me to be. Because you already see what I currently am, not what I could be and should be, and you want to produce that life through me. So I'm going to ask these two clarifying questions. What do I need to run from? What do I need to fight for? And for us to lean into that, we have to surround ourselves with godly community. Would you get into community? As we close, I just want to invite you to open your hands, put them on your... your lap... And this Sunday, the very first Sunday of 2020, of the new year, of the new decade, would you just offer perhaps the most honest prayer we can ever pray? God, help. God, I need you. I want you. Help me to see me the way you see me. God, would you help me to have your vision for my life? Would you show me where the self-lies are tripping me up? I want to bring those to you because I know that it's so safe to bring them to you.
I'm not somehow working for approval, somehow working to find acceptance. I come into the presence of my perfect heavenly Father who says, I love you. And so I can bring all of me and I can be fully honest. When you allow these hands open to be to be just your posture in 2020, of God, I want to receive from you. God, you have for me, you have for me way more than what I could ask or imagine. And so I position and posture myself to receive from you.